What is up, everybody? My name is Matt Cordova. I'm the senior pastor here at The River, and we are excited that you are listening to our podcast. Now, before the message starts, there's three things that we would love for you to do. One, we would love for you to share it. Two, we would love for you to subscribe. And three, we would love for you to go and rate it. So the message is about to begin. I hope it encourages you, and I hope that you know that God has a plan for your life. When I first spoke to you back in January, we went through going through the new and we talked about Jeremiah 29:10, where God tells them, hey, I'm about to do something new and I need you to grab hold upon it. Uh, last time I talked to you, we also talked about the next and stepping into that and what that means that God has given us gifts. And now we come to a portion of who am I? Who am I to do that? You know, you, unless you get up there and you talk about these things, you talk about spiritual gifts, but who am I to step into those things? And it's a fair question because I've had those same questions. And so I hope to walk you through some of those places today as we go through this. Um, it's always interesting to learn a new talent and a new gift and to get to practice that out. And it, it, you know, we have to sort of walk through examples of what that is. So I have a couple for you today. Um, for 40 days, the Hebrew army set against the, the, the army that had Goliath. And that's kind of strange when you have two armies gathered up and nobody's fighting a war. And that's because Goliath stepped out every day and challenged the Hebrew armies. And he said some pretty vile things to them. And, and so that scared them. They were afraid of suffering. They were afraid of Goliath taking their head off. They were afraid of losing. But Goliath stepped out there and says, hey, if you can slay me, we're we'll retreat. You can have all this land. You can have all this territory. But because he was so large and so vicious... They stayed inside their tents until one day all of a sudden walked up a 13-year-old boy. All of a sudden, here comes this kid just delivering sandwiches to his brothers. And he looks at that guy and he says, man, you can't just say those things. You, you, you ought to say anything like that ever. And he was so undignified about what was coming out of that dude's mouth that he took a slingshot and felled that giant, just a 13-year-old boy, just a 13-year-old kid. Later on in the Bible, you might have heard one of my favorite characters is Benny Nia. I think that's how you pronounce that. But he was one of David's mighty men. See, David had this whole army, and in this whole army, there was like 30 specialized guys. Benaniah was in charge of those specialized guys. So he was like the guy in charge of the Green Berets of the Navy SEALs back in the Old Testament. And so Benaniah, on top of his war triumphs, one day he's walking along in Israel in the winter, and he sees a lion in a pit. Now, if you're like me, I'm probably going to stare down there, maybe kick some rocks and say, I got no time for lions. But Aniah decided he wanted to have lion for dinner that night or something. I don't know what came over him. But he jumped down in the pit and fought the lion. Came up out of the pit with a dead lion. I mean, it's just a, just a guy who's done some things, seen some things, and he decided, man, I'm going to take on a lion. That's more bravery than I know that I have. Over in the New Testament... There's Judas, Ananias, and Saul. And this isn't the Judas or Ananias that you've heard about earlier in the Bible. This is over in Acts 9. So Judas had a house in Damascus. All of a sudden comes a knock at the door. And here is Saul of Tarsus standing in front of him. And now this is Saul of Tarsus, the guy who was coming after the Christians. This is Saul of Tarsus who's trying to persecute the church out of existence. And Judas is like, you ain't coming in here. But just moments ago, Saul had been walking along with some of those guys and a voice appeared out of heaven and said, why are you persecuting me? And blinded Saul. And so Judas got the word that he was supposed to take this guy in. So he took him in. And then another guy way over here named Ananias, God gave him an open vision and said, 
you need to go to Judas's house. He's like, who's Judas? He goes, just go down to Judas's house. You're going to lay hands on this guy. You're going to pray for him. He's going to get his sight back. And he's like, well, who am I praying over, Lord? And he goes, well, you're praying over Saul of Tarsus. I ain't got nothing to do with that. I don't want to touch Saul of Tarsus. He goes, you're going to go do it. And so Ananias went down there, knocked on the door, met Judas for the first time, laid his hands on Saul of Tarsus, prayed over him. And then all of a sudden, out of that was born Paul the Apostle, who wrote most of our New Testament. And you got to say, what's this got to do with me? What's this got to do? These were nobodies. You don't hear about Judas or Ananias anywhere else in the Bible. They don't exist anywhere else inside the New Testament. Just normal people who said, yes, Lord, here I am. Same thing with the 13-year-old boy. He was just out to take sandwiches and see what was going on, and he killed a giant. Just like Benaniah, he was a hardened dude who'd seen some battle, and he decided, well, I'm going to take on a lion today. Just normal people, and that's who we are. We're normal people, and so circumstances arise. Kind of like my son Moses, Dustin Copenhaver was another, just a normal guy until all of a sudden he comes across a boy and he picks him up in his arms and starts praying over him and probably saved my son's life. Just normal everyday people walking along us who all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you and things get a whole lot different and a whole lot better. That's who you are. That's who you are. Today's verse, well let's pray right quick. I forgot to pray, I apologize. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the chance to be here. We just thank you for the opportunities to come together and worship you, Lord. I ask that you would bless what I do up here, and more importantly, Lord, that it be from you and that it bless those who are in front of me, Lord. Let it bless this church and those who have come before me and what we do next. In Jesus' holy name, amen. So anyway, thank you for being here. Uh, some of those things, those places that we become, and the world tries to take them from us, and I hope to talk to you about that today. And we're going to start in Second Peter Peter was one of the original apostles, the guy who walked on water, and the guy who first yelled out, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, a confession of faith we've been living out for over 2,000 years now. And Second Peter 1-2, he starts off by praying, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And how does that happen? Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. If you're sitting here today, if you're online, realize you've been called. Jesus has put something in your heart to draw you into his presence and to bring you in the presence of him. And so thank you for being here and thank you for answering that call. He continues in verse 4. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of his divine nature. And that's the important part. Hang on to that. That you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, I prefer the NASB. That's just something I've always read and also something I've always been after. But simply put, the CEV, a different version, says in verse 4, God made great and marvelous promises, so his nature would become part of us then we could escape our evil desires and corrupt influences of the world. His nature becomes part of us. Now, back when I became a dad, I didn't know this. And so if you don't know this, let me tell you this today. Part of our jobs as fathers is to speak identity into our children, right? When we raise them up, we speak good things into their life. And that's not so much to put a box around them, but it's just to tell them who they are and to help raise that out of them. I didn't know that as a dad. When I first started, there's, I don't know if there was a dad one-on-one book but I didn't know that. And so after I learned that, I started practicing that with my children because that's what dads do. We speak truth into our children. We speak identity in our children. We speak purpose in our children. And that's what God is doing in this verse. 
He's telling us, I'm raising you up and I'm giving you part of my nature so you can take part in these promises. Part of, and it's not saying you are God. It's not saying you're Jesus. It's saying you're going to walk in part of my nature. These gifts I have for you, these ways of doing things I'm imparting upon you. And so we take those on. He's giving us identity. He's giving us purpose. Because that's what we were meant to do. When God first looked out over creation back in Genesis, he saw chaos. He took dominion over the chaos. He took order and established order into that chaos so that it became what we are today, a world thriving and breathing. And so that's part of our divine nature that comes from heaven above, is that when you step into a situation, you're able to put things in order. You're able to stop the chaos. And sometimes along the ways that gets taken from us. If we're being completely honest, it's been taken from away from me a couple different times. And, and so the question is, why? And so let me tell you today, sin is not a death sentence. Failure, not a death sentence. Hard times, not a death sentence. Just because trials come upon you doesn't mean, number one, that God hates you or that God doesn't like you. It's quite the opposite. And so sometimes those things have a way of just clinching us up. In fact, when you saw the Hebrews up against Goliath, you know, there was some anxiety there, some panic there. And it's been proven, and I'm going to get a little scientifical with you, that once we get into that panic, once we get into anxiety, it, it shrinks our brains down. When, when chaos or something comes upon us, it freezes us up and it shrinks our brain down. And if you shrink the brain down, it's not getting oxygen, it's not getting blood flow, and it's not getting water. Some dehydration comes on. We go down to our base elements of being able to only practice what we've only being able to do what we've practiced that's the reason you see so many army men so many times on the range or in fighting or uh, cops going out and shooting things and fighting that's the reason they practice so hard or firefighters going into structures they practice those things over and over again because when the chaos hits the fan they can get in there and get the business taken care of because it's a normal reaction that fear is shrinking our brain down and so you have to realize that we have to come up out of that and build a stress reaction I found this book, and I haven't read the book, but it, it kind of explains it. It's from Wendy Suzuki, and it's Healthy Brain, Happy Life. It says, fear can shrink the size of your temporal lobe and increase the size of your something structure that is processing free information. I can't pronounce that word. So, Emma, is there a teacher in the room? Emma dialogue? Anyway, but it shrinks all that down, and it also shrinks up the hippocampus. I can pronounce that, the hippocampus. Now, the hippocampus is important because it's in charge of our creativity and imagination. But long-term stress has been proven to shrink in the hippocampus down that contributes to the deterioration of memory and zapping our creativity. And so what it's saying is when that stress hits us, when that anxiety hits us, when that fear hits us, our brain shrinks down and we become less creative. And we need to be creative because there's a lot of solutions in this world that have to happen and we got to think of them. And so part of that response, number one, is staying in our identity and staying in that identity that you speak over your kids. So highly important. Because if I'm in the middle of something and something stressful hits me, I can't forget who I am. If I forget who I am, then it's all out the windows. Things, I mean, there's things God can put back together, but it's much better if I'm already there practicing who I am. When those emergencies happen, I can step into that situation because that's who God said I am. When situations happen, I can step into that and put creative solutions into play because that's part of my identity and that's why I was created. That's my purpose in life. And so what takes that away from us? The troubles of this world, bad messages, hard times. And this won't come up on the Sky Bible, but uh, Matthew 13 is the parable of the sower. And I'm going to try to run through that real quick. And I think this is why 
sometimes the Word of God doesn't stick on the inside of us. I've walked through each of these places, and I've had to deal with each of these places. And so I hope today you can find a place that say, hey, that's me, and this is what I've got to deal with. And so the parable is, a guy is going out to sow seeds. He's planting crops and putting stuff on the ground, uh, seeds on the ground. And he says he sowed some on the side of the road, and the birds came and picked them off. He sowed some amongst the rocks, and as soon as the sun came out, it dried up those plants. He put some among the thorns, and the thorns choked them out. And he put some on good soil, and that yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And Jesus goes on to explain in Matthew 13, 8, he says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that seed that's been sown. That's the seed that's on the side of the road. Maybe I don't understand it. Maybe I didn't take it into heart. Maybe I didn't pick it up. Something comes down and takes that seed up out of the ground so the plant can't grow. He says some of it grows on rocky places. Now, the things about rocky places, as you know, is it can't take root. So the word of God comes to you, but the distress of this world and you not having a foundation in that truth causes the, the plant to wither up. So maybe there's a word spoken on you. I'm a man who believes in prophecy and the prophetic word. Maybe that word is spoken over me and I don't have a place for it. I don't know how to grasp onto it, so I let it go. Or maybe I hold onto it and say, yes, I got a prophetic word, but a trial comes upon me and it withers up. I had something spoken over me, I guess, a Sunday, two Sundays ago, and the very next Monday, all heck broke loose in my life. And I had the choice, either I could remember, and I, and I kind of forgot it, kind of walked on, and some things other happened, and some things happened with Moses, and then I remembered I had that word spoken over me. And now here comes something to try to take that word out of my life and try to take that word away from me. Am I going to hold on to that word, or am I going to let it go and dive into this problem? I'm going to grab that word, and I'm going to dive into the problem. I'm not going to let it go, because that's what has been spoken over me. And so sometimes those rocky places in our life, we've got to hold on to that truth. We've got to, we've got to dig up a place for those roots to take firm. And it's kind of like, Jesus loves me, this I know. Sometimes when you're going through hard places and hard times, it's hard to grab onto that word. You have to sit there and marinate over it for a little bit. Well, what does this mean? What, is, what does it mean when Jesus loves me? This I know. What does that mean? Singing that whole song my entire life. And until you have that come over you, you fully don't embrace what the concept of that is. But if I don't let it take firm roots, then I'm just wandering down the road without the love of Jesus. And so sometimes in my life, I've had to let those things take root. I've had to let those things grow up in my life. Here's another one, the rocky places or the, uh, the thorns. He throws it among the thorns, and he go, Jesus says, uh, the seed was sown among the thorns, and the man hears the word, but the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word out of you, and it becomes unfruitful. How many times have we sat there and worried about money? I think the hardest thing I ever saw was I was talking to a young man. He'd been arrested, and I was trying to get some answers out of him, and he was, and he was like, oh, I'm never going to see my mom again. I'm not from around here. I don't even know where Amarillo is. And I, you know, now my whole life is over with. And I'm like, well, that's desperation I've got to speak into. And so I started speaking to him, and I started saying, well, let's pray about it. He said, no, that's Bible stuff. That's just for the Bible. That doesn't exist in the real world. And I'm like, well, that's news to me, but that's the desperation of the world, is that the Bible just exists in the church. It just exists on Sundays. It just exists in my grandma's mouth. And the truth is, the word encompasses all of my life. And so I had to pray over him and convince him that it was going to be okay and that the word of God was going to take effect of his life and do something miraculous in his life. I never saw him again after that, so something good must have happened. I pray that that came off of him, whatever happened. 
But that, that's just it. We think that the, the Word of God doesn't have power over this situation, but it does. I'm telling you, I'm a walking example of Jesus' Word coming into my life and doing something good every day. Or what about, you know, we start having a good time. This was the Hebrews' problem. Life was great. Life was good. And so, you know, I'm just going to go over here and do this, and I'm going to do this and enjoy this, and I'm going to forget the Word of God because I'm having a good time over here. You know, sometimes that happens too. And so be thankful for everything that comes to you that is good and realize that the Word of God imperviates every single part of our life. And so the other, the, the, the persecution arises, withering up that Word. Persecution doesn't get to take the Word out of you. doesn't get to take the truth away from you. And that's part of the problem with fear and anxiety is you get in there and you start worrying about the wrong things and your hands start clenching up. I think Pastor Matt talked about this before. Your hands are doing this instead of praying to Jesus or being thankful to Jesus. And we've all been there. I've done it a hundred million times. There's been times where we didn't have nothing and times where we had way over a bunch. And so God provides in each of those situations, praise God. But those are each of the different places I've walked through and where my identity has been attacked. Number one, that the truth wasn't quite in me. I didn't have any understanding for it, so it went away. Or it didn't have deep enough roots. And so I let it get withered in the sun. Or maybe I was too worried and not realizing that God would provide for me, that he is the good shepherd. And that the worry of wealth and the worry of war in Ukraine or the worry of COVID would all of a sudden negate the word of God. And I'm here to tell you, the promises of God are yes and amen or they're nothing. I mean, the promises that he has over my life, that he loves me, means something or it means nothing. And sometimes it's just that black and white. And it has to be that black and white because there's things coming against us that we can never, ever imagine. I mean, I have walked in places and walked. It's like being up on this stage. I never thought in a million years I would be up here. And I'm grateful for it. And thank you for being here to hear it. But more importantly is that I never thought this would happen. And so I pray that everything I do is a coming to emanate the Lord of heaven and earth. That everything I speak about brings glory to his name. That everything I speak about emanates the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that my life is an example of that to pay him back. Because that's who you are too. And we've walked in each of those places. It says in verse 4 once again, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So by them you may be partakers of his divine nature. And that's part of the reason the things that come against us are so hard. It wants to rip that divine nature right out of you. It wants to challenge you on the very core of who you think you are. It wants to challenge you about how true the Word of God is, because that's what Satan did. As soon as Jesus took off in the wilderness, what did he do? And Pastor Matt, I think, talked about this a couple weeks ago. As soon as he went out in the wilderness, well, if you're the Son of God, you better believe I'm the Son of God. That's what the Bible says, and that's what I'm going to believe, regardless of the circumstances that come against me. And so we have to hang on to that encouragement. 1 Peter 1.9 says, We have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Now that says, if you leave that up there, it says, and the morning star rises in your hearts. That's not till Jesus comes back again. That's not until the rapture happens again. That's not until, you know, whatever good thing happens. That is until it rises in our hearts. So we hang on to that prophetic word. We hang on to those things that are spoken over us until they take root enough to rise again. And sometimes it takes a while. And it's a very churchy answer. 
But, you know, we talk about God's timing all the time. But just because it's a very churchy answer doesn't mean it's not a true answer. God has specific times and places established. And if something happens, maybe I become a shining lamp in a dark place. That prophetic word coming alive in me or the word of God, the truth of what he says about me, not only comes alive in me, but it comes alive for people around me. And that's all about God's timing and God's place. I'm a big fan of Graham Cook. I don't know if anybody follows Graham Cook, but he's a prophetic guy who came out of England, went over to California for some reason because they need a lot of help. I don't know, but he's very good. I like listening to him. But he says this. He says, you cannot change your negativity by becoming more positive. God is not into self-help. We fight negativity by stepping into our persona and practicing our identity as God sees it. It's kind of like Gideon. Gideon, Jesus, or God spoke down to Gideon and said, mighty warrior. He didn't say, good morning, Gideon, time to get up. He didn't say, hey, Gideon, come over here, I want to tell you something. He immediately looked at Gideon and said, mighty warrior. And Gideon was about the size of, Brandon, stand up. How tall? He's about the size of Brandon. Thank you. Brandon's a small man, but he's also a mighty warrior. He's a man who fells giants with his prayers. And that's what Gideon was. He had to believe that he was a mighty warrior. He had to believe he was going to take the Hebrew armies into those camps and destroy it. And that's what you have to believe about yourselves, is that God puts you on this earth to do something good, that he raised you up to do something that can never be done before. That you could raise up your children to be something that would impact this world in such a way that the world is forever changed. I mean, that's just who you are. That's who you are. Every day, seeing you grow up and seeing you here today makes me think that the world's going to be a better place because you're still running after God and you're still chasing God and trying to fight off the world at the same time and still doing good things. So thank you for being here today. And God bless you for being out there in it because we need people in the next, I mean, when I get to be 90, I don't, I don't, I might want to be up here. I don't know, but maybe one of you could be up here and doing this instead. But that's what we need is people around us rising up to do something different. And it's not about stepping into positive things. There's a million self-help books out there. Some of them good, some of them bad. This is the best self-help book in the world. We just got to believe it. It's the only one. You're right. It tells me Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. And I'm going to keep believing that. The other part of what Graham says is a positive personality is rooted in a sense of values, knowing who God is for you, knowing who you are in yourself. It's optimistic, trusting, willing to try, can be challenged. It's not defensive. It's a risk taker, brave, honest, aware, open-minded, and open-hearted. See, fear, panic, all those things try to rip that out of us, hard times, good times. And we have to be rooted in those places that God, I am who, I, who God says I am. It's not who I say I am. It's who God says I am. And I have to believe that and step into it. I guess you, uh, back in, was it 21? The years seemed to meld together. Anyway, we had that huge cold wave that came across the panhandle. Woke up to the sound of rushing waters. And it wasn't Jesus talking to me. It was the pipes under my house being burst because it got down to negative five. And so I called the plumbers up and I said, hey, I need somebody to come. I want to get on the list first. I know you guys are probably going to be backed up. A plumber never came, never called me back, and the realization set in. I don't have to crawl under my house. It's a parent BM house, and I can do it. I just don't want to. I don't want to crawl under the house, and plus it's been flooding under there, so it's 
we let it air out for a week, but the mud was still down there, and it was cold, even though it was like 70 the next day. Still cold under the house, and then you got the snake problem and the spider problem, and I even had a nightmare over this. I mean, the anxiety set in, but I'm a man. I can crawl under houses. I can jump off of cliffs. I'm going to be okay. And so finally, I had to calm down the panic and say, we're just going to do this because God created me to be the husband and the, and the man of my house. And if somebody's going to put this house back together, it's going to be me because that's who God created me to be. That's, and so I didn't want to, but I crawled under there and I had to take some deep breaths. But I finally got the pipes fixed. And thank you, Jesus, because I didn't like being under there. But I had this fear of getting stuck. I'm not a big man, but I, you know, anyway, crawling under that house was worth it. It just took the breath out of me, but I'm the man of my house. I got to put things back together. And that's not me beating on my chest saying, look at me. That's God put me in a place where I have to care for my wife and my kids. God put me in a place where I had to jump in a car and drive 90 to nothing. Don't tell your son. 90 to nothing down to Marshall thinking, God, don't stop me. I got to get to my kid because he's got to be taken care of. That's who God, and that's not me just beating on my chest. God put me in that place. He put me in time to be that thing. And here's why it's different. And I don't know if I gave Tanner this verse or not. I'm sorry if I didn't. But Colossians 1, 13 through 14. Here's why you're different than the world. And that's not putting you on a pedestal. That's not putting you into something you shouldn't be. But he says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into his kingdom of his beloved son. We've been taken from one state, once we confess our love of Jesus Christ and our belief in Jesus Christ, we've been taken from that place into this new kingdom. So that's who I become. That becomes my persona. Whether you like it or not, that's who you become. And so going back to those other places doesn't fit anymore. That's the reason you don't fit in places you used to. It's not because you're older. It's not because you're wiser. It's because he's transferred you out of that kingdom of darkness and into the light places to bring that light. That's the reason you don't, it's not just an issue of, hey, I'm older and wiser. I don't do those things anymore, which, is, you know, if you're a bull rider, that may be true. Your bones get more, I don't know, anyway, but anyway, but. Those places don't fit anymore because you're not in that kingdom anymore. You've been transferred out of it. That's the reason you don't feel different. That's the reason you don't quite fit in anymore. It's a hard thing with our children to understand. And I'm talking to you today, if you're here and you're, under, and you're still in school, that's the reason you act and don't get accepted into certain groups anymore. Is because you're not part of those groups spiritually. It's true. It's real. And sometimes it feels uncomfortable and it hurts. Because I want to be accepted. I want to be part of the group. I want to be part of the cool kids, but I can't. Because I'm not part of that kingdom anymore. That doesn't mean you can't be friends with them. That means you can't hang out with them. It just means that's the reason you feel different. is because you are different spiritually. And I don't think that was ever explained to me as a kid. I don't fit in there anymore. And not from a judgmental standpoint. And not from a better than you standpoint. It's just I'm not that anymore. I've walked into this and put on a different robe. The blood of Jesus now covers my life. And so I'm different. And, that, and thank you, Jesus, for that. Because I don't want any part of that. You see it on the media. You see it on the TikTok. I don't want to be a part of that. Man, it looks funny sometimes, but I don't want any of that. And so thank you, Lord, for it. So if you don't mind... There's probably places in this room in your mind that you're dealing with and struggling with. There's probably things you want to figure out. It's not all about bad stuff. It's not all about hard times. It's about good stuff too. I want to be the best I can. 
There's things at work I want to figure out. There's things in my family I want to figure out, so let's succeed. So if you'll you'll bear with me in a minute, you'll close your eyes. Get that place in your mind, that one thing you're struggling with. Maybe maybe your marriage, maybe maybe your kids, maybe your job, maybe there's an addiction you're, you're trying to get over. Maybe there's something you want to do and the gas prices are scaring the heck out of you. I don't know how I'm going to get that done. Or maybe it's politics and I don't know what's going to happen next. So you get that place firmly rooted in your mind and firmly established in your mind and look at it. Look at it in the face. Look at them in the face, whatever that is. And now once you see that, I want you to lift your eyes right over their heads or right over that problem's top. You see that guy in the very back? That's Jesus. He's smiling. He's waving at you. Whatever problem you're facing, whatever fear you have, whatever's causing you anxiety this morning, that image in the very back of that picture in your mind, that's Jesus waving at you. And notice he's coming towards you. And he's touching all those places between you and that. I want to speak this over you this morning. For God so loved the world, he gave us Jesus. No weapon formed against me gets to prosper. He will bless the work of my hands. Jesus loves me. In doing so, he laid down his life for me. He told me when hard times come, not to fear. He told me to stand firm. He said he would never leave me nor forsake me. That his promises are yes and amen. He told me not to lean into my own understanding. For a lot of you, you've been in this position before. You've been in that place before. You know how this works. You know how it's going to work out because he is for you. And if he is for you, he is greater in me than that that was out there. You are God's chosen person in this time and place. You are the one he brought forth to set things towards his love, to bring order, to bring mercy, to bring grace, to bring his truth. There are those around you who need encouragement. You need encouragement. We need to know they are not alone. They need to know they're not alone. And to know that he is for them as much as he is for you. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And knowing that, this is something Josh Brown turned me on to a few weeks ago. And knowing the future is knowing that just like in that vision, Jesus has already been out there for us. And He's coming back for us. Knowing that He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, we know that He's already been out there and He sees what's going on. He's seen what's going to happen. And in knowing that, He's coming back for us to help take care of us and help guide us through that process because He's the Good Shepherd. Anything else is an attempt of the enemy to try to steal the truth out of you. It doesn't get to do that. Call the worship team up. (laughs) That's who I am in Christ Jesus. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. Romans 8.1 says there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If something has happened in your life where you've gotten off the path, realize There's no condemnation over you because you've come back into him and he's forgiven your sins. And he's going to give you new life. Going back to Jeremiah 29, 11, he's going to do something new. He's going to bring up streams in the desert, paths in the wilderness. And it's not all champagne and donuts. 
But it's going to be good because just like Benaniah, you're going to take on that lion in a pit. And you're not just going to chunk spears at him from the top. You're going to get down there and wrestle with him. And you're going to come up a winner. Just like David, you're going to walk out on the plains and say, that dude can't talk that way. I'm here to stop you. I'm here to tell you that Jesus loves you. He's for you and you don't get to torment my people. Or it could be just like Ananias and Judas where I'm just obedient to the word of God and I show up and history's forever changed. Because that's who you are. You're people of the one true God. And once that settles within you and once that gets inside of you, it sounds a little bit like this. It says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. That's where your identity is purposed. Is Jesus Christ. That he so loved the world. God so loved the world. He gave Jesus Christ his only son. And so I pray that truth settles over you this week. That the thorns, that the rocks, that the birds don't get to steal that truth out of your hands. That as you're going through the week, you recall your favorite Bible verse. You recall the joy that the, your favorite Bible verse brought you. And it comes to break whatever you need to get that breakthrough in your life this week. Or to help you find the solution that's needed in your workplace or your home. But above all, know that you were created on purpose and for purpose. Hey, that's the message. I hope it encouraged you. I hope it inspired you. I hope that you know that God has a plan for your life. In fact, if you would like to join us as a part of our online campus and you would like to watch the video as it happens live, go follow us on Facebook or YouTube by searching The River in Panhandle, Texas. Have an amazing week.